0: He stole my, my favorite introductory line. Um, really, really honored to be with you guys. Do what? Yeah, I'll just do it here. Um, high, high honor to be with you guys, especially given the occasion um, honoring uh, Larry Pegram and Larry Peebles. Uh, I wish that I had known them better personally. Um I remember seeing them growing up at First Evan for many, many years. Um, I know that Larry Pegram uh, had a special relationship with my, a couple of my daughters. Um, I'd asked them uh, a couple days ago about their memories of Larry Pegram, and they said they just— uh, and I remember watching this happen coming down the hallway right here, and they would see him, and they would say, Mr. Larry, and they would run to him, and he would inevitably have candy or find a coin, you know, behind their ear, and they loved it. And so just his warmth and his presence, um, and with Larry Peebles, um, I I feel like I was blessed by the fruit of his ministry and his love for Sean. I know that uh, Britton Wilkins, uh, Sean's son and one of my best friends, um, I remember Britton saying that Larry Peoples prayed for him daily um, and that God's blessed me through the life and love of Sean and the life and love of Britton. So I feel very grateful, and uh, it's very appropriate for what I hope to talk about tonight uh, with you guys um, and uh, um, uh, really about um, why, what Jesus came to give us. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit of my story. Um, as Sean mentioned, four kids, I met my wife Veronica, and, and actually, too, I'll just say it's like really significant for me to be in First Evan in this setting. Um, I grew up at First Evan, born and raised here, um, and there are men and faces in this room who have had deep impact and impressions on me. Um, actually, there used to be a door here, and this used to be our sanctuary, and I had three siblings get married right down there, and I was the ring bewa. I couldn't say bear. I was the ring bella. And I remember like falling face first with a pillow in one particular ceremony. Um, And just so, and then I got baptized right there at 13. Um, And uh, my wife and I were married in 2000, celebrated our uh, reception right here um, in this very fellowship hall. Uh, My mom, Sandy, who some of y'all knew and and loved, um, she was memorialized right here in the sanctuary. So um, uh, I can't help like. My eyes keep getting drawn to Jim Reardon, um, who I've known for a long time, who has loved me exceptionally well. I kind of am super tempted to just tell stories about Jim Reardon. Uh, I've got so many of them. Well, your birthday's coming up, right? September 15th? September 15th. We're going to roast them again. Y'all come back here September 15th. They will be amazing. We, uh, I've gotten to travel around the world with him. Uh, he literally... Uh, fell out of a pickup truck in Madagascar broke three ribs and proceeded to teach the book of Ephesians to Malagasy church leaders for the next three days in tropical heat um, with some painkillers uh, which you've given those back I hope um, anyway so so many people here that I love um, and really uh, uh, and you know my uh, as my family um, spent uh a ton of time here as well. Um, I'm the youngest of eight, which is how I got stuck with the name Shad. Um, so all of our names start with S. So it's Shannon, Shane, Scott, Shell, Sean, Stacy, Stephanie, and Shad. And they said they should name me Stop. Um, so, um, catching up with some of you guys. Um, so, uh Anyway, a lot that could be said uh, about First Evan, and I'll inter- intertwine some of the other men in my life, including Sean and Cole, um, Mark Ottinger, Hamp Holcomb, Ken Edmondson, um, and so many others. Uh, Lynn Ballinger, um, just so many folks that have cared for and hoped for me what they hope for themselves. Um, the question I just wanna, I want to—I want—I want you to consider. Uh, kind of where you are, right in your seat right now. And there's no no wrong answer. There's no right or wrong way to answer this question. Um, I, I just want to ask you to recall and to remember anyone in your life that you can remember where you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they wanted more for you than they wanted from you. Let's take a second. Where it was it was so evident that this was somebody that saw you that uh, cared for you in such a way that they wanted they wanted more for you than they wanted from you um, and in my experience um, when I've asked people that question uh, they're more often than not can remember more people in their life that wanted more from them than they wanted wanted for them Um And I've had I've just had the distinct privilege of uh, becoming more and more aware of people that I've had in my life um, that have wanted that I know that they want more for me than from me. Um, I'm going to tell you all just a little bit of our background and bio and my story. Um, So, growing up here uh, at uh, First Evan, working in our family business alongside of Mr. Randy Turner, who's here for many years at Memphis Communications Corporation, Um, and in 2006-2007, I had the opportunity at Cole Huffman's recommendation to go through a, a ministry called Downline. And Downline is a nine-month discipleship training program. A soup camel here serves on our board, uh, instrumental in the founding of that ministry. Um, and basically, down, Downline is a nine-month intensive to help get a clear picture and understanding of what Jesus meant when he said to go and make disciples. And um, I remember being stressed out. Cole was kind of mentoring me. We actually just prayed before we came in here in his office. And I remember sitting in his office filled with all this anxiety about what I was going to do with my life, picking my fingers uh, just um, compulsively, and, and him just trying to calm me down and tell me everything was going to be okay. Um, and so Downline was this paradigm-shifting experience where I was really immersed in the gospel and introduced to more of, even more fully uh, my own Um, Just my own Pharisaism, uh, my own uh, moralism, where I felt like I had to earn my way to God. Like, it was confronted in my life that I had been spending a lot of energy trying to ascend this ladder that I thought would somehow bring me closer into intimacy and relationship with God, and it was exhausting. Um, And God used downline mightily in my journey. Uh, My wife and I, and at that point, I felt this this push um, that God was... Um, putting on my heart and asking the question if, um, the question was really, can I become who he made me to be and stay in the family business? And uh, the response was kind of resoundingly no, that he was pushing me, and I didn't really know to what or to where, um, but there was a strong draw uh, and, uh, and pull toward Downline. Um, and the opportunity came for me to come on staff at Downline in 2011, about five years later, um, as Sean mentioned, kind of an operations capacity. Um, And at the same time... My wife and I had just had our. We were expecting our fifth child, but we'd experienced a miscarriage, and it was really painful. Uh, She had uh, was on bed rest for several months after the miscarriage, Um, but we really felt like the Lord still had room in our hearts and in our home uh, for another child, and so we began to pursue adoption. And I'd gotten to Africa, gone to Africa a couple of times, and had a heart and had seen the plight of the orphan there. Um, And God redirected us. It was uh, they Ethiopia had completely. Um, kind of restructured the adoption process, and so what was going to be about an 18-month process was quickly going to become 36 months, and uh, so we decided to change that to a domestic uh, adoption as opposed to international, and it really took about another year and a half before finally we'd gotten a phone call um, that said that a birth mom had chosen our family for her son, and we got to meet her, and it was beautiful, uh, young 16-year-old single mom, and she was doing a month Um, and after we met her, I left and told Veronica, I was like, "I I think we may be adopting two kids at this point. Um, and, uh, just a precious girl. And so a month later, um, uh, Veronica, I mean, we get a phone call that says that she had gone into labor and, um, so we rushed, the, and she wanted us to be at the hospital. So we rushed to the hospital, and we got to be with her through that process, and then she got rushed into a, an emergency C-section, and um, and I remember, here is, here is my prayer. Um, i had had four children biologically, and one of my biggest fears was that I would feel differently about our adopted son, whom we had named Henry, than I had my biological kids. It was just a fear I had. Um, I had no no experience with it otherwise, and... I'll never forget when they called us back to meet him for the first time. My wife and I got to go back back and see him just brand new, brand spanking new and held him and looked at him for the first time. And I was like, my God, this is my son. Um, And we, and uh, it was a few days before the kids could come up and meet him. And uh, visiting was pretty restricted. And on the fourth day uh, from the hospital, we got to take him home. And, um, and in the state of Tennessee, um. the The law says that the birth mom can change her mind uh, up to ten days after you leave the hospital. Um, and on the ninth day, I was in my office and I got a phone call that I had a number that I had not gotten since the time that um, we had been uh, told that we had been chosen. And I answered the phone and I was like don't tell me what I think you're about to tell me. And she said, Chad, I'm so sorry, but um, the birth mom has gone down on her own without telling us and changed her mind. And I remember uh, collapsing, uh, like on my knees, That, and I still feel it in my stomach, um, just that sense of kind of helplessness um, and, uh, and hurt and heartache. Um, and two days later, I literally handed him back to his birth mom, and I was and this was just totally the Holy Spirit, I was able to tell her that the tears you see in our eyes and the heartache that you see um, is from the fact you asked us to love Him as our own. And God gave us the capacity to do that, and all your—I'm not angry at you. Um, we we want, we hope nothing but the best for you. Um, but what the ache we have is because we we loved him like you asked us to do, and we have a small sense of what you must have gone through over the last nine months trying to decide what was best for him, and, and what it what it must have been like for you to hand him to us the first time. Um, and I remember talking to Britton, and I share this often, uh, Britton Wilkins, after the after um, that experience. Um, and, uh, Britain telling me, he said, you know, you can't, he just kind of casually said, he said, you can't love at an arm's length distance. Like when you sign up to love somebody else, um, you're signing up for a contract of pain. Like it's going to cost you something. It's going to hurt. You cannot insulate yourself from love. And that was one of the most uh, profound lessons in my entire life of understanding more fully the love of Christ and understanding, uh, how much I protect myself from, from hard, from hurt and from pain. Um, and, uh, God, there's another man that, uh, I don't see here yet. Um, but through that experience of leaving the family business and also, um, losing Henry, um, I went into a depression and, and I would have told you at that point in my life, I was one of those people that thought way too highly of myself and was too proud to admit that I could ever be that weak, if that makes sense. Like that. No, I need this. This shouldn't be the case for me. This would be something for other people that were maybe had weaker faith or uh, were not as strong. But um, but I was in denial about and how how needy I was. Um, And God uh, connected me to a man in the church called uh, his name's Tim Holler. And uh, Tim began, uh, he's a licensed therapist here in the city and was teaching at um, Victory College, uh, and he was um, also had a private practice. And for the first time in my life, I began going to meet with Tim with, with a ton of shame and embarrassment that I needed this type of care. But I remember telling Tim over the phone, I was at the corner of uh, Briar, Briarcrest and Shady Grove, or Briarbrook and Shady Grove, my chest feeling like it was about to rip open, not knowing what to do with how scared I felt, um, and saying, man, <laughs> I said, something's horribly wrong with me, and I, what, I don't know how to fix it, and I feel, so- I feel sorry for whoever decides to enter into this with me. Like I, and I, and he said, I got an opening next Thursday. I said, maybe you didn't hear me. Like, I, I can't wait till next Thursday, but I did. And, uh, and I, and I experienced something uh, with Tim, um, that I think is ultimately what Jesus, the invitation that Jesus extends to each of us. Um, somebody that wanted more for me than he wanted from me. And it took me a very long time to trust that that was true. To, to believe that he actually cared enough, that it wasn't just about the money I was giving him each week, but he was willing to um, actually uh, enter into my life right where I was. Um, and I think it is just absolutely vital for us to understand and to see Jesus for how he extends and introduces himself to us. And if you have your Bibles, I just invite you guys to turn to uh, John uh, chapter 10. Um, and I just want to read this with you guys. Um, in John chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 7, all this is worth reading. Um, I'm going to start down in verse 7. Jesus says this, he said, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, uh, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I'll skip down um, to verse 17. He says, For this reason the Father Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. Um, and the part that I want to just focus on is the fact that Jesus says that why he came was to give us life and give it to us abundantly. I do not know where you are right now in your relationship with Jesus. I don't know. Um, and I know that some of you here have been walking with him for years. Some of you um, may, may be a follower of Christ, and and um, and but maybe maybe have a a broken relationship with the church or a broken relationship or trust is broken with the, with the church. And and, the, uh, and maybe some of you are still just don't really know and, and haven't des- decided to uh, follow and surrender to him. Um, and for the latter two, if, if you fall into that camp, um, I just want to thank you for being here. I think it's a lot of courage for you to be here and glad you're here. Um, and what I want you to hear is the invitation of Jesus Christ that says he came to give you life and give you life to the full, um, Jesus, and, and, he, and he he refers to us through Scripture as sheep. Okay, um, in Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty six, it says that Jesus is, he sees he sees the sheep, and he says that he sees the people, he sees the masses. He said they're like sheep without a shepherd, and he's moved to compassion. Like he sees them. And what's a sheep without a shepherd? Any any shepherds in here? A sheep without a shepherd's dead meat. Like the, a sheep without a shepherd, there's not hope. And Jesus doesn't call us shepherds condescendingly. Like you, you worthless shepherd. He calls us sheep compassionately and lovingly. He says that you are my sheep. You belong to him. And he leads us out freely to get to give us what it is that we most need what it is we most desperately need he leads us into pasture all living and created things are made to do one thing which is to live fully to uh, to uh, to thrive and jesus's hope for his created for his creatures is that that they would have an abundant life and and he's he's invi- he doesn't control you he doesn't demand you come to him. Um, and in Acts uh, chapter 17, Paul at the Oropagos, uh Zach Schmidt uh, shared this with me this week. Um, Paul is telling them that Jesus is near to each and every one of us. He says that he's not far from any of us and that he's appointed the time and the season and the place in which we live so that we might find him. Like the reason that we're living now, the reason that Larry Pegram, Larry Peebles lived in this time and in this day and this season was so that they might find their way to God in order that they might have an abundant and a full life. Um, and part of the challenge is that part of the challenge for me is that um, realizing that this place, this time that we live in now is not home. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says that the men and women who were com- uh, commended for their faith, that one of the things that they were commended for is that they never stopped craving a place called home. Like they knew that they were made for, it this, there's this echo of Eden, an echo of Eden every one of you. Like this this place where you know that you were made for an eternity, where life worked the way that God intended to work, where there was shalom, uh, where there was no more sadness, where there's no more death, where there are no more tears, but we're not there yet. And these men and women in Hebrews could not stop craving this heavenly home that they, they were moving toward and desiring, but living in this place where um, life didn't work. And so part of the challenge is trying to make this place home when it won't be. Um, but what God says throughout scripture, he says that he will be with us in the midst of our fear. Uh, my daughter, Anne Claire, uh, you know, she doesn't do it as much anymore, thankfully, but in the middle of the night, knocks on the door and I'm lovingly, what? And, uh, she says, can I sleep in your bed? It's like, no. Um, and I was like, why? She goes, cause it's dark in my room. It's like, well, Aunt Claire, I don't have a nightlight on in here. Um, and she says, it's not that she's afraid of the dark. So she just doesn't want to be alone in the dark. Um, and that, so for, for God's creatures. So for instance, a tree, like, what, is a, what, what does a tree have to do to glorify God? Be a tree. Thank you. Like, all a tree has to do to glorify God is to be a tree. And what does a tree need in order to thrive? Water, sun, dirt, um, and if it gets those things, it, it is fulfilled. and when it's fulfilled, it abounds. When it's abounds, it produces a bounty. When it produces a bounty, it produces fruit. And what does that fruit do? That fruit multiplies life. That fruit sustains and multiplies life, and that's when that's when a tree is fulfilled. For you and I, we're made spiritual, relational, emotional emotional creatures, and we are the fuel of life for you and I is relationship, that you and I are made to thrive relationally, and our needs are met in relationship with God, in relationship with ourselves, in relationship with others. Um, and w- the ultimate fulfillment for you and I is when our lives bear fruit that sustain life. And I think that's what we're what we're honoring, is what we've seen in Larry Peebles and Larry uh, Pegram, is that through their life, through their love, through their faithfulness, that other people have benefited from that fruit. Um, and part of, part of us of may have a tough time uh, receiving that type of care and receiving that type of love from other people, of letting ourselves be loved like that. Um, letting, seeing Jesus says Jesus is not putting fences around us, trying to keep us close to him, but he's, he's positioning himself at the center of the garden where we can come and we can find life and we can find it abundantly. Um, when you look up synonyms for the word abundant, um, it says, uh, it is to overflow with, to team with, to be filled with. Like you're filled with so they want you to have so much life that it just washes off of you onto other people and multiplies into other people. And so that's that's my prayer for us. That's my hope for, for you and I is that we would experience that type of love. Um, if if and 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 all that all that living things need in order to fully thrive is to is to be hungry. And so I don't know where each of you are, um, but if you are hungry for more, if you're hopeful for more, if you're hungry for more life, um, that you would admit it, that, that you would, that you would receive it, that you would, um, be willing, uh, to come to Christ in order to get it. Um, and so that's, that's our invitation and that's our hope, um, is that you would receive abundant life and that that life and that love of Christ would multiply through you. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I know we have a small program in honor of, uh, of uh, Larry Peoples and Larry Pegram that I know we want to get to. Let me pray for you all. Yeah, so thank you for asking. Um, so <laughs> it's a good—I uh, did not plant him or pay him to say that. Um, the Downline Institute starts actually next Monday, and we still have space, um, if you are hungry for more. Um, if you want more of Christ, if you want more, uh, you know, if you feel incompetent with the scriptures run clear as to what he's asking you to do when he says, go and make disciples. Um, the downline Institute is a phenomenal place. And I tell people what we try to do is just set a buffet that you can come and feast on, like you just we, you just come and you eat, and we keep setting the table. And God has given us a relationship with some amazing speakers and amazing teachers, um, where you can come and just be fed and be fed good food that will help you thrive and grow to give you more to give others. Um, you cannot export what you do not possess. But the more you, the the hungrier you are to live, um, the more you have to give other people. And so our prayer is that the institute can be this equipping experience that serves you for the rest of your life. Um, and so uh, you, downlineministries.com is the website. Uh, where you can go and learn more about the Institute. Um, My email address, uh, shadshad at downlineministries.com. Feel free to email me. I'd love to tell you more about that. Um and then the Downline Summit is kind of our annual gathering of the church where we try to encourage and, su- and support the church as a community effort toward uh, engaging in and basically multiplying the love of Christ throughout our city through our churches and our homes. Um and so that's on February 1st and 2nd. Um phenomenal lineup of speakers and opportunities for you to just be further fed, equipped and encouraged. Um so that's downlinesummit.com. Would love for you guys to experience that too. Um but really uh, grateful for the opportunity and uh, yeah um, so uh, the institute downline started in 2006, and And about two years after the beginning of the Institute, um, there was a group of about uh, six or seven young adults that had recently graduated college that um, said they wanted to move to Memphis to go through the program. So initially, we helped them uh, find houses, find jobs, um, get connected with disciplers. And, um, and then the second year, there was another group of seven or eight students that said they wanted to do the same thing. Um, and so they came. And then the third year, we thought, man, we need to like, formalize this and put some structure to it. And so we hired a director. And so over the last, um, I'd say over the last uh, seven years, seven to eight years, there's been this steady pipeline into the city that uh, is kind of a, one of our best-kept secrets in the city, of uh, young adults, recent college graduates, that are moving to Memphis to get equipped and trained biblically uh, with a vision for what it looks like to follow Christ for the rest of their lives. Um, and so this year, we have uh, Zach Schmidt, one of them that uh, went through last year, um, but we have uh, 45 students, uh, 85% of them are more moved to Memphis from around the country, from uh, several that are um, international students from Korea, from Belize, from Costa Rica, um, a couple of Korean-born students, and then from all over the U.S., um, all the way from the east coast to the west, uh, that are coming here, getting equipped, plugging into our community, and about 90% of them end up staying in Memphis, uh, which is not something we, you know, coerce them to do. Uh, what they get, they get the best side of our city kind of rolled out to them, and they get to see that firsthand, and they get loved really well. They get connected deeply to local churches, and, um, and then they end up, you know, a lot of them uh, end up staying here, um, getting married, getting jobs, shaping culture, um, which we love. So we celebrate that too. Um, so any, if you know any young professional, a young adult, uh, that would be interested in that type of equipping, um, the Emerging Leader Program is a great opportunity for that. All right, let me, uh, let me pray. Um, Father, I think, I thank you that you are a God that wants more for us than from us. Um, Father, that you, um, open-handedly invite us into relationship with you in order that we might have an abundant life, a life that abounds, a life that is fruitful, a life that um, multiplies your love to the world. Um, And Father, I pray that wherever uh, each of us are in that journey, um, that you would reveal yourself and make yourself known to us, God, Um, that we would see you clearly for who you are, um and that we would run to you and that we would um that that we would be transformed from the inside out and that we would make you known and that we would love others the way that you loved us. Um, I do thank you for the legacy of First Evan of um, men and women who have done that so uh, willingly and freely over the years and specifically Lord uh, for Larry Peebles and Larry Pegram and just uh, pray that um, as we honor their memory and and their faithfulness and their love. Um, that they had received from you and shared freely with with others. Um, We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.